0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, Cheryl Ackeson here with another podcast, Full Measure After Hours. And with me this week is the really, really brilliant investigative producer, Daniel Steinberger. Hello, Daniel.
1: Hey, great to be with you. First time guest, long time listener.
0: Yes, you are. <laughs> And the reason Daniel's here is he and I made the trip together to Puerto Rico to look into hurricane funding. And, and the question at hand was, how much money, with all the rumors and discussions of huge aid, how much money really is going to Puerto Rico? How much money have they gotten so far? It's been two years since the hurricanes Maria and Irma. And then how much of that has made it to the actual hurricane victims? And really... We found, right, this is not an easy task. You ask for a number, you don't just get the number.
1: Yeah, definitely. We've, we've spent time talking to Puerto Rican officials, officials here in Washington, um, at FEMA, and the Office of Management and Budget. There seems to be a lot of back and forth and da- numbers that are outdated. Um, but it, it was interesting. I mean, they're, they're, I mean even though money has been appropriated by Congress, um, a lot of that money does not actually get to the hands of the Puerto Ricans at this point.
0: So there was a lot of confusion because President Trump, I think, has used this $91 billion number, and then some are like, he's lying. And then I think what we concluded after really digging into this is the number of $91 billion is the total number Puerto Rico could get. It's sort of an estimate that the United States has said this is what they need, and there are pots of money that they could pull from. And they haven't gotten anywhere near that much yet, that's just how much they could get. But before we go into the specific numbers, in general, we'll tell you that the money's trickling out relatively slowly. And we found out there's reasons for that. Um, do you want to just briefly introduce them to the notion of the corruption and the bankruptcy that makes all this really complicated? They can't just throw the money into this island.
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of corruption, there's the government there has been facing a lot of corruption. And the president actually has talked about that. Um, and there has been that. I mean, they're
0: they're kind of legendary for the corruption in Puerto Rico, you, even before all of this. Right.
1: In the last few months, um, the FBI has gone in and arrested um, some Puerto Rican officials, some of their some of the co- um, contractors that they work with. Um, and so those cases are still pending. they will um, have pled not guilty, but you know that there's certainly the out. There's certainly strong allegations there.
0: Yes. Yeah, so. You know, we knew pretty early on that these FBI arrests could be related to the hurricane money. Then more recently, there were arrests, believe it or not, of FEMA officials, these Federal Emergency Management Agency officials or former officials now. One of them was an Obama official but then became a Trump official, I guess, working under, under the Trump administration for FEMA, and she was heading up the effort to fix the electric grid by the way, which was already pretty much destroyed and ruined before the hurricane, and that was a huge, the biggest single expenditure that's happened so far, something like $5 billion really has been spent helping with the electric grid. Problem is, they're questioning the FBI a $1.8 billion contract that this FEMA official had basically funneled to a company, at least that's the allegation, called COBRA, and her name Asha Tribble, she was a Homeland Security Advisor under Obama, but then went to FEMA and took the lead on the electric grid getting fixed, and she's accused of taking bribes to steer this really lucrative contract to the company called Cobra, and also arrested as part of this not long ago was Cobra's CEO, and then a FEMA friend of Tribble's, who, by the way, left FEMA and went to work for COBRA for apparently a pretty big salary. So all of them were arrested, all have denied wrongdoing. But this is the sort of thing when there's that kind of cash going around and contracts to be given that uh, you have to
1: worry about. And I think some of that um, led to what I think a lot of people may or may not have seen, but a lot of people have, um, saw over the summer, and we were there for that, were the really strong protests that at some points even got pretty violent, um, and I think there was a we saw a big groundswell of people. I mean, I remember we were kind of headed there, and we just were. I mean, there were tens of thousands we were swept
0: up in yeah. These there were tens
1: of thousands of people just like walking miles and miles and miles to get to where the protest was happening, like the heart of the protest,
0: which culminated in the governor Rosea, who we'd interviewed before a couple of years ago and was going to go after the corruption, but this all culminated in his resignation. And I might add, when this was covered in the United States, it was almost entirely in the context of all this protest and controversy that Roseo, the governor, had made some controversial statements and text messages against, you know, the the gay and lesbian community and other things that were controversial. But really, I think that did a disservice to the context, which is this tender box of tension in Puerto Rico in general due to the longstanding corruption scandals that the people have lived through o- over many governments there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was um, – it was. Imp- I mean, and I think that ultimately led to the Roseo resigning, um, and now there's a new governor who's trying to figure it out. You
0: corruption. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's look at a couple of the numbers we got. Where's the list here? So let's see. billion, we found, will come from emergency recovery funds. That's what's available to Puerto Rico. It's not, like, super easy. They have to provide the right documentation. It doesn't just get thrown at them. They have to, you know, they only have to get bids from certain contractors. There's a lot of rules and requirements which makes this process slow, but by design in some respects. And then besides the $48 billion from emergency funds, $43 billion more, has been appropriated by Congress so far. That means Congress has said there is that money available, but it doesn't mean they've received that much money. In fact, they have not. What did we find out about that? Dan? Yeah,
1: I mean, that, that to me was one of the more stunning numbers is that Congress has given $43 billion, They or they say they're willing to give that at this point to the people of Puerto Rico, but they've only received fourteen billion on hand to help people to help rebuild the infrastructure. So I thought that was that was an interesting number. And then the other thing
0: before we go on though, yeah. fourteen billion I just want to emphasize that's the big number. So of the ninety one billion that we hear about that's available that they may yet get in two years only fourteen billion dollars has gone to Puerto Rico. It's actually been expended and that is a lot of money, yes, billions and millions of dollars, but a small fraction of that number that you hear about.
1: Yeah, and then within some of these other numbers we were looking at, specifically housing and shelter money, um, that was a special earmark of $20 billion. And yet in that in that category of money specific for housing, less than a million dollars has made its way to the island.
0: I mean, this is incredible. And we focused on this $20 billion figure because that was – maybe the largest or one of the easiest to explain big chunks that they could describe, that $20 billion for housing and shelter, and that's where you would see, expect to see when you drive around on the island that schools have been fixed and houses have been fixed and we didn't see that. Well, that's because of the $20 billion. When we were there, it was less than a half million had been paid out. Now it's just under a million. I mean, that's nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. And that explains why we did some touring around with their top hurricane official at the time and went to a school, but basically he told us not one school there, and they're, some of them really damaged, not one school in two years has gotten money for permanent repairs out of that $91 billion figure you hear about. Weren't you surprised when we saw yeah, the that, state of the that, school? That,
1: that school was, was um, still devastated. I mean, there were holes in roofs. We saw huge termites, um, walls splintered. The cafeteria had mold in it, and and they were telling us we were there when they were trying to help remediate some of that, and and just to plaster over mold. But they were spending their own money doing that, just you know, little little pockets of money of their own, and that that was not federal U.S. federal dollars.
0: So can you imagine that? And and the schools to begin with are not in some of these schools are not in good shape. You would never what shocked me. You'd never see a school like that on the U.S. mainland. It would be considered just so. You know, third world it just doesn't look like America, and in fact, that's where they go to school and the one that we went to that had leaks in the roofs and termites and looked like it was uninhabitable. They're teaching classes there right now that's that's where they go to school,
1: yeah, there was such a contrast between seeing the state of some of those rooms and yet there were a couple of pockets of like nice artwork or kids' work that were like held up on the walls and things and that that contrast I thought was really interesting.
0: Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So then we drove way out into the countryside to a town called, am I going to say right, Corazal? Yes. And we wanted to see, you know, had hurricane aid reached this community. And really, we couldn't see it and the residents really couldn't describe it for us. And we found one woman who lived in a house, still lives in a house, right on this river that when the hurricane came, she had to just get up on the balcony and she shot with her uh, her phone and posted on Facebook. The river just basically swept away the whole bottom floor and the house that's pretty rugged to begin with. But it was super frightening. And the house still, the entire ground floor, is just a washed out mess. So you would think, okay, this is what some of that hurricane aid is meant for. At least what us here on the mainland, what we think that it's going for but she told us she hadn't had a penny, and they, there were some people that came around after the hurricane, I hear this even in the States after disaster, and had her fill out an application, but then told her she wasn't eligible for anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, her her situation was sad, and, you know, I think we've we kind of discovered that she was not alone. Um, the other thing we saw in that town, um, and we saw all over the island, but particularly as you move inland, which this town was, was the Blue Tarps, and that there are lots of places within Puerto Rico that were still dotted with blue tarps. We saw it from the air. We saw it from the ground. It wasn't, you know, a groundswell. I'm sure they've made progress in some of that. But I think those blue tarps were meant for basically like 30 days of use. See, the and blue
0: tarps, they're covering the roofs. roofs. that were holes yeah. in them, yeah. So there's still, some people are living in a house with a blue tarp, like you say, meant for 30 days by their own specs, but it's been two years. And then there are all kinds of technical reasons they can't get the aid. So... The woman we spoke to, you know, said, and we followed up with FEMA officials, it's because she lives in a house, as many people do there, that she doesn't own. I guess she leases it or pays some nominal amount of rent. But because she's not the owner, she can't sign or rightfully get the money for it, and the owner, for whatever reason, hasn't hadn't applied for the aid, but she's the one living there. And Puerto Rican officials were telling us, look, you know she lives here she needs the help, or the house needs the help. Whoever owns the house, it's not fraudulent, you can see it's a mess, and to fix up the house would not be fraudulent on U.S. taxpayer money, and yet there's that sort of catch-22, because she doesn't own it, she can't get the aid. So, you know, you go there, my first thought was, wow, they haven't gotten any money, and people talked about the bureaucracy of FEMA, you hear a lot about how hard it is to get, and a lot of things are unfair. Then we talked to FEMA, and my mind changed a little bit, or at least my perspective changed a little bit, because we talked to the top FEMA official on Puerto Rico at the time, and he explained, look, there are many, many strict rules to get the money, you know, if you're somebody who wants to rebuild something, or a government official in one of their local governments that wants to apply for aid, They don't just throw it out at you because of all the corruption and waste and fraud. I mean, that's the case in general, but particularly in Puerto Rico, there are rules they have to follow and things they have to do. So I think American taxpayers, on the one hand, would wish the aid could go out faster to those who really need it, but on the other hand, appreciate the need to not just throw the money out there in a way that could be wasted or abused or stolen.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a a double-edged sword, I think, on that.
0: What surprised you, if anything, about driving around? I'll, I'll say my little surprise in a moment. But one thing that I wasn't prepared for. What about you?
1: I thought in we were in San Jose, which was the is the capital in the main city, one of the big cities there. Um, I, you know, lots of parts of San Jose look, you know, I think pretty normal or back. You know, our businesses are certainly back. But what surprised me was going into some of those towns inland. Um, they're still devastated, and but the other thing, but not only that, we also went to, I think a, t- a town, I forget the name of it, that was right outside of San Jose. Um, it was right near the school, and there were, there were still blue tarps. So, um, y- you know, I, I, it's hard to have a little bit of a pr- perspective in terms of what it was before the hurricane. Um, I think there's been pr- some progress, but I think there's still much more to go.
0: So I visited before the hurricanes. Um, happened to be there doing a story on the fraud and corruption and bankruptcy. This is a very poor territory. I think something like half the people are were, before the hurricanes, on welfare. And I noticed it's just a very poor-looking place when you go. It's a beautiful country, or it's a beautiful countryside, it's a territory of the U.S., but it's very, people are generally very poor. My surprise was it didn't look as bad as I thought. Yes, there were tarps, But people there live in such a poor state anyway. It wasn't that many tarps as I've been prepared to see, number one. And number two, a lot of Puerto Rico has gone back to normal. And I think we did see that, that despite the fact that they've gotten almost no federal aid to the people on the ground, people find a way to get their lives back to normal. In fact, we stopped at a side shop, you know, off the street and talked to a woman who had not been able to sell her wares. She'd been in business for decades, but she had no electricity, no water, had to take care of her disabled mother and sister, I believe it was, without modern amenities after the hurricane for months and closed her shop. She's back in business. And that was, looks like with little to no help from the federal government, but, you know, people work their way back to a sense of normalcy
1: definitely a bright spot. I mean, by the end of it, you know, she gave you, she flashed you a nice smile. She did. Yeah,
0: she did. It was really interesting. So um, if you want to learn more and see what we actually saw, you can go to fullmeasure.news because we did a whole investigative report for Full Measure on this same topic. And the text of the story will be written out. And we're going to also have it translated in Spanish because that was a special request for people who knew this story was coming. And um, anything else you want to say, Daniel?
1: No, it's great to be on your show. It was and good to have you. Do you have theme music yet, or that's coming?
0: You want to hum a, hum a tune? No. You have a suggestion? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not yet.
1: Great to be with you, though.
0: All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and um, hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, Full Measure After Hours. I also have the Cheryl Ackeson podcast you can subscribe to. And you can find these, if that's too much trouble, go to CherylAckeson.com. And click the podcast tab, and I try to post them all there. You can just listen to them directly if that's easier for you. And share with your friends. So in the meantime, make up your own mind, do your own research, and think for yourself.
1: Bye. Bye.